With Tesla Government's knowledge management solutions, you are adding a strategic partner that helps unleash the full power and potential of your institutional information. Let us unpack your data and put your knowledge to work. Learn more at teslagov.com. LC38brand.com, the civil affairs lifestyle brand. A little bit of something for everybody. T-shirts, polos, shorts, hats, flags, posters for your walls, and stickers for everything else. Items for citizen soldiers of USA KPOC and warrior diplomats at Fort Bragg alike. LC38brand.com. It's cool to like your job. talking to me he's like listen i know what you're thinking i know what's going through your head right now he's like but i'm telling you like there's some really cool opportunities out there in sea land that you don't know about but like you're going to miss out on if you just try and like do this for yourself right now so he's like just give yourself some time give yourself some space and went down and like the more i started learning about the branch the regiment the opportunities uh, that were out there and i was like this is actually really cool i really enjoy what i'm doing and also around some super smart people too so i enjoyed my time there Hi, and welcome to the 1CA Podcast. My name is John McElligot, your host for today's episode. And we're joined by Mr. Mark Delaney. He grew up in Bel Air, Maryland, and did the ROTC program while getting an English degree from the University of Maryland. His Army career started as an infantry officer in the 82nd Airborne, including deployment to Baghdad in 2015. After going through civil affairs assessment selection in the qualification course, Mark headed to the 96th Battalion, to serve as a CA team leader. While there, he deployed to Syria in 2017 in support of Operation Inherit Resolve in Saudi Arabia in 2018 to advise the Saudi Joint Forces Command on humanitarian operations inside Yemen. Since exiting the army, Mark started the veteran professional website and podcast, co-founded Vet Journey, and recently completed his MBA at the University of Virginia's Darden School of Business. Mark lives with his girlfriend and a retired sled dog named Kismet in Charlottesville, Virginia. Mark, welcome to the show. Awesome. Thanks for having me, John. Appreciate it. Yeah, we wanted to cover uh, several things today, um, most notably this connection between your civil affairs career and you know, also uh, covering the second half of the show, what you've done post-military and how you're giving back to the veteran community. Anything else that you wanted to share with listeners about briefly your, your bio and CA before we launch into more detail? Yeah, I, I guess one thing I'll say, uh, so I actually came into CA like as a little bit of a, a reluctant CA officer. Um, so like when I put in from day one of being an ROTC cadet, I didn't want to be a special forces officer. All right. Like that's what I wanted to do. Everyone was like, Mark's going to be an SF guy. It's been great, whatever. And then I, you know, put it my, my paperwork to the RSOF board and they came back and they said, you're going to be CA. And I was like, Okay. That wasn't like quite what I was expecting, but like, you know, the army has got its way of working. And I was like, at this point, like, I still want to be the army. I didn't really know a whole lot about CA, but I was like, this looks like a really good opportunity. Let me just like, I I still want to do this. It's still kind of meshing with where I am right now. So let me just, let me just try this out. Um, And glad I did really enjoyed my time there. That's cool to hear. I mean, did you know that that was an option even that they would say civil affairs or PSYOP as opposed to SF? Yeah. So the the long and short of it from what i was told um so when we put in our paperwork like you you know officers had to put in this like one document that you know you've ranked 
SF, PSYOP, and CA. Yeah. And, it said, and it said specifically you had to rank all three. Okay. Okay. And, you know, me being a good, you know, good young J.O. and following the rules and everything. And I was like, okay, well, if they say I have to rank them, then I have to rank them. And so that's what I did. And then, you know, they came back and said, T.A. Then all my buddies who ended up, you know, landing in the SF spot were like, oh, no, man, I didn't rank anything else. I just put SF, right? So part of me uh, is like, you know, kind of shoots myself in the foot. Like, damn, like the army got me one more time. But uh, like I said, yeah. it, it really worked out. And like, I don't regret my time there at all. So uh, I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed my time in T.A. and it worked out well. That's good to hear. Well, yeah, we want to go through this journey that you've had in civil affairs. And let's start at the beginning. So you talked about how you went through the RSARF board, but can you tell listeners how you joined the 96th and why you decided to really launch into civil affairs? Like, yeah, the Army told you this is what you had to do, but what else did you learn early on about CA and how you thought it was going to be a connection, uh, solid connection to what you do? Yeah. So as I was kind of looking at the options in front of me, like whether or not to, you know, go to assessment and selection or so I, I had three options. It was either get out of the army, go to assessment and selection, or just continue being an infantry officer. Right. At this point, um, I actually had my paperwork all filled out to get out of the army. All right. So this was, you know, I was a first lieutenant and had everything, like all I had to do was hit control P, put it on my battalion commander's desk and be like, I'm out of here, man. <laughs> um, so, I, but I wasn't quite ready to pull that. Like I was still enjoying the army. I still wanted to serve. And so like, I, I don't quite want to do this one yet. Okay. Then I was looking at, don't want to continue being an infantry officer. For a variety of reasons, it just wasn't, it just wasn't the, the, the path that was laid out in front of me. And so, you know, when I first got the, the notification back from the RSOF board, I, I knew nothing about CA. I, re- I really didn't. Yeah, uh, I, I was kind of joking. Sometimes people, like, even people who've been, you know, CA operators for four or five years, still don't know everything about CA. Um, but especially at that point, like I knew nothing. I really didn't know what it was. But I actually ended up connecting with a guy who had been a seventh group commander. All right, mm-hmm. and I was trying. He was a retired dude, and he was trying. I called him to ask if, like, maybe he could pull some strings or something with the board. And he was like, kind of talking to me. He's like, "Listen, I know what you're thinking. I know what's going through your head right now." He's like, but I'm telling you, like, there's some really cool opportunities out there in CA land that you don't know about, but like, you're going to miss out on if you just try and like do this for yourself right now. So he's like, yeah. just give yourself some time, give yourself some space and went down it. And like the more I started learning about the branch, the regiment and the opportunities that, that were out there, I was like, this is actually really cool. I really enjoy what I'm doing. And also around some super smart people too. So I enjoyed my time there. That's awesome. So what you got into civil affairs and I mean, early on, did you think it was what you expected of civil affairs? So you, the learning curve was really steep, it sounds like. Like, what the hell is this thing? I'm not sure what I'm getting into. It's not what I really wanted. But as you learned more and more, right, you started out as a team leader and then you kind of grew. What did it morph into? Was it um, what you expected? Was it more than you expected? Better? Um, I, I think it probably morphed into what I kind of really grew to like about the branch is, you know, you, you ask anyone, you ask anyone out there, not even just in the military, anyone out there about their job and you ask them, what's, what's the normal day like for you, right? Everyone likes to say, oh, there's not a normal day. My day is crazy. Like, oh my gosh, you do all these things, right? But like, oh my God, like that was really true in CA. <laughs> it really was. Uh, like I remember I, had, I like this one snapshot of a day in Syria where, you know, I kind of like woke up, did like my morning routine and everything. 
And then I went to a school down the street to go talk to a principal or something. And then I'd come back to the fire base. Uh, and so like that was in civilian clothes. And I come back, put on my uniform and I brief like an SF06 on like how, what we were doing that day meshed into like his plan to attack ISIS. Then I'd like take my uniform off, put on civilian clothes, go back, meet with the state department down the street for something else, come back, put on my uniform, go to like another meeting with the SF major that I was working for. And that was just like a, it just kind of seemed normal to be like bouncing around all these kind of different things of like going from a conversation where I'm talking with, you know, a JSOC Intel person about how, you know, the information that I'm gathering is important to their operation to then going to like a, a women's community group down the street to talk about like how we can incorporate them in to our plan so that like you know, ISIS doesn't take back over the city. And it's just like going back and forth across this like very wide spectrum of the things that just get thrown at you in CA was just really enjoyable. And it was just, it was intellectually challenging and it just kept you on your toes. And I, I really liked it. That's cool. It's like uh, having multi-personalities or having different Spider-Man suits you got to put on. Oh, totally. Um, yeah. In the Army Reserve, we talk about warrior diplomats. We talk about uh, a whole other terms for civil affairs. Which ones, which monikers do you think fit pretty well with what you were doing? Uh, how would you, your elevator pitch to somebody else describing what you did in civil affairs? Do you feel like you have that honed by now? Or what would you say, looking back on it, you can, you can sort of summarize this as? So I'll be honest, my, my CA elevator pitch is probably a little rusty after I, I've been <laughs> yeah. in like three years right now. But generally, like what I remember talking to the most of when someone asked, like, what does CA do? Or a commander was asking me, like, what do you do for me? And like, listen, at the end of the day, like I'm here to conduct civil reconnaissance and civil engagement to provide you an accurate picture of what's going on there, other in the, the civilian part of the battlefield. That's what I'm here to do. Okay. And then like once we have that information and we kind of laid into your plan as a commander, then I can work with, you know, a wide swath of, you know, unified action partners to come up with a plan to address your priorities and your objectives as the commander with regards to the civilian space. This can all take a variety of options. We can use 10,000 different programs and pots of money. And there's a whole bunch of different ways for you to, you know, for me to skin this cat, which is for me to figure out. But at the end of the day, like my job is to help you navigate what is going on in the civilian part of your battle space. That's pretty good. Yeah, it could be a fancy program that you're using to analyze connections between people, or it could be on the back of an MRE box, or it could just be, I'm just going to put this on a whiteboard, or the uh, the version with uh, that you see often in, in police movies where they've got photos of people with uh, yarn going from one person or string from the next. Yeah, if you can paint a picture for somebody and figure out how it's going to impact their current or future operations, that's a big deal. Yeah, and I'll use, so this actually wasn't an example from my deployment, but it was the one, it was a company after us in Syria, okay? And so they were, at this point, you know, when I was in Syria in 2017, the, the entire focus was on capturing the city of Raqqa and getting getting ISIS out of there. It's like at the time, that was the capital or caliphate. And then I left after Iraq was liberated and then all the operations started moving out east, okay? So there's another offensive going on for a big city. And the CA team leader out there was talking with the, the SF commander and was like, hey, man, there's, there's a major offensive going on based on what we saw happen from Raqqa. There's going to be tons of civilians fleeing the city. It's going to clog up the roads. It's going to create a security nightmares. We don't know, you know, like, is there ISIS? 
intertwined in with these people. Yeah. And then also like the, our partner forces, the Syrian defense forces, the SDF, they're going to want to kind of stop operations to like address the security challenge. And also like, these are their people and they want to take care of them. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you know, the, the AOB commander was like, Oh, listen, man, like I put warheads on foreheads. Like that's what I'm here to do. I don't care about refugees leaving the city. All right. Not everyone, not every commander is going to be like that, but fast forward like two to three weeks when the offensive really got going. And then all of a sudden the roads started getting flooded with refugees and it became a giant security concern. And then actually the main effort shifted from the offensive to the CA team who is now having to like set up checkpoints and like screen all these people and kind of go through the, you know, internally displaced person's protocols and everything that like, it's our job as CA folks to figure out. Yeah. Um, and so it's just, I, I highlight that as an example of like the importance of understanding the civilian component on the battlefield and like how it affects everything else going on out there for a commander. Yeah, that, that's a great case study. I want to go a little more detail about maybe Syria, if you can share or what you can share, and then Saudi Arabia. Looking back at those deployments, what would you say stands out as the CA tasks that you accomplished? So yeah, working with IDPs and constantly uh, civil engagement, civil recon. But what else were you guys really focused on, especially in Saudi Arabia? What was going on there? Uh, so I'll touch on Syria just just, just, just real quickly. Um, okay. So really there we were, my, my primary task, my partner force was called the, the Raqqa Civil Council. Okay. And so essentially what had happened, like once the Syrian civil war started, then the Syrian government, this was kind of like a, this is, the part of Syria that we were in was like the countryside rural area, very far away from the capital. So once the, the Syrian civil war started, which was mostly taking place in the Western part of the country, the government kind of shifted all its focus there, took people out. And then all of a sudden you had this very like ungoverned part of Syria. Yeah. And like that's when ISIS swept in, took control and everything. Okay. So, you know, militarily, we kind of saw the writing on the wall. Like eventually we were going to defeat ISIS, you know, with, all of our military capabilities, the uh, phenomenal performance of the Syrian defense forces, like, like we knew eventually we were going to defeat them. It, it was going to be a tough fight, but like we knew we were going to defeat them. Okay. But then we were like, well, who's going to come in after them to, to govern the city? And so this group of people kind of, you know, uh, put themselves together, became the RCC. And it was my job to essentially help prepare them. Really, I was kind of like their, their PR person to just help them establish themselves as like a, a functioning legitimate government in the eyes of the people in the province. So like, that was my primary task. A lot of that was just kind of, you know, talking to them a lot of times, kind of give my commander some insight on like what was happening. Like I was the, I was the primary conduit for the U S government to this, you know, soon to be governing body in like a critical area. That was the, that was the main task really. Do you think that there were, any, there was a lack of any experience that, or, or inability to tap into some government spunk, functional specialists that we now have in the ranks a little bit more of that would have been more helpful. You know, did you have any background in civil administration in a local government in the U.S. or like? Absolutely not. No, okay. no. Re- really, uh, the the main reason that like this was my my task and function was because this was still a contested area. Uh, I mean, we were, we traveled around freely, like, we, you know, it, it was a pretty safe area, all things considered, but there was a state department team that was in country, but they were kind of far away and it was really difficult for them to move. 
So like they just weren't able to see the RCC as much as I was able to. Whereas I lived, I mean, I could see their building from our fire base and was able to go there. I mean, multiple times a day if needed. I mean, it was a five minute drive for us to get over there and just by proximity to them. And then also just by the fact that I was in the military and like we were able to plan our own movements, move a lot more freely and kind of like take on that higher level of risk of, you know, going outside of the wire to visit these people. I was just able to like get that connection with them a lot more than the, the people who honestly had way more experience in this than I did. Yeah. It makes sense. That, that often happens uh, during combat operations. Okay, cool. Yeah. And then you shift to Saudi Arabia and, and um, what happened there? Yeah. So, you know, Saudi or the, like the, the Yemen civil war has been going on for a hot minute now. The Saudis have been very much involved. So then you have, you know, the, the Houthi faction and everything that is definitely getting sponsorship from Iran that creates a security challenge for Saudi Arabia, you know, having this um, Iranian backed group on their Southern border with, you know, close proximity to like major oil fields and everything, just huge security challenge for, for Saudi Arabia. Okay. Yeah. So the Saudis, this was kind of like their first time really being engaged in some type of, it, it sounds strange to call it like an international conflict just because it was, you know, the country directly adjacent to them, but it was involved in a lot of international actors. There were a lot of, lots of international humanitarian organizations were getting involved in this just because there was a bunch of just calamitous things going on inside Yemen, you know, a, a drought, a famine, all, all kinds of horrible things and disease and everything. Yeah. Um, and so the Saudis just really didn't have much experience in like interfacing and interacting with these types of groups and kind of like doing their due diligence as, uh, as a military on this stage. Um, and so they had this cell set up called the Emergency Humanitarian Operations Center inside their Joint Forces Command, which is essentially like their, their, their Pentagon, more or less. Okay. Um, and so I was working with the EHOC, basically just like doing due diligence, ensuring that like, you know, their processes were sound. If there was some type of issue with the Red Cross and like, you know, deconflicting airspace or roadways or something like that, like, I'd be the person trying to go then communicate that to the state department who would then try and go communicate that. And again, it was kind of a matter of just like having the proximity, like the ability to be there like day in and day out. Right. Like there were people in the state department who were honestly probably better fit for this, but just couldn't be there every single day. And also like they weren't military. And so, you know, this was a military cell within the Saudi government. And so like they felt more comfortable interfacing with me every day versus someone from the state department coming in. That matters. That that trust and relatability really matters. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. Um, do you think you look back at the Syria experience as being more impactful on your understanding of international relations, of how the military plays with State Department and Unified Action Partners? Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah. You know, of, of my three deployments, that one was absolutely the most meaningful. Like, I, I very much look back on my time in Syria is like a, a very impactful, meaningful time in my life. I think it felt like we actually did some good, really yeah. do. And yeah, I mean, I worked with people all across our military partner forces. I got to work with, you know, local security forces, local military forces, MSF, Doctors Out Borders, a, a slew of nonprofits, all different actors in the state department across the U.S. government. Like I, I really like my, my spectrum of unified action partners was, was huge on like who I got to deal with. And it was, 
it was really like a great learning experience in building relationships and partnerships and being able to go to someone and try to understand, listen, like I have my priorities. I have the things that like, I'm trying to do that I'm being tasked by, by the U S government. You have your things that you're trying to do for your, you know, your nonprofit or your agency or whatever it is. I need to try and understand that. You need to try to understand me and then, like, let's find some common ground and try and, you know, achieve this objective together. And like, it just, that really kind of solidified that the importance of doing that for me through, through my time in Syria. Very cool. Mark, thank you so much. Um, we'll take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about what you've been doing after you got out of the military, business school, recently graduated with your MBA, and then how you're helping to give back to the, uh, the military community, the, the veterans who are out there and how it ties to CA. We'll be right back. Everywhere you look, there's a barrage of emails and information telling you what everybody has done, is doing, or plans to do, all in excruciating detail. But access is only half the battle. You also need information presented in a usable form. But that takes work, and the more information you have, the more work it takes. Tesla government takes on these issues so that your office or agency can fully exploit the data you already have. Our knowledge management experts organize and curate your internal data. Our open source research augments your knowledge base with strategic insights from our globally experienced team. And our data visualization turns complex data into compelling visuals, while our community building makes sure everyone benefits by leveraging collective knowledge. With Tesla government's knowledge management solutions, you are adding a strategic partner that helps unleash the full power and potential of your institutional information. Let us unpack your data and put your knowledge to work. Learn more at teslagov.com. LC38brand.com, the civil affairs lifestyle brand. Something for everyone. The world traveler, the civil engager, the warrior diplomat. We got t-shirts, polos, shorts, hats, flags and posters for your walls, and stickers for everything else. Celebrating the heritage of civil affairs, from the civil reconnaissance of Lewis and Clark through the monuments men of World War II and companies of Vietnam. Repping the present teams of the global war on terror, with items for citizen soldiers of use of KPOC and warrior diplomats at Fort Bragg alike. Collections include suits and shoots for fans of jumping out of airplanes and looking good, Pineland to remember your trip to the People's Republic, and Lewis and Clark to honor the two party animals who popularized huge DTS vouchers. You want Pipox? We got Pipox. New items all the time. Custom flags, stickers, and shirts? Send us an email. Follow us on Facebook or Instagram at LC38Brand or contact us at info at LC38Brand.com lc38brand.com. It's cool to like your job. Do you have an idea for an upcoming podcast or know someone who may be a good person to interview? Contact us at capodcasting at gmail.com. back to the 1CA podcast and our guest today is Mr. Mark Delaney. On the first half of the show, Mark, we were talking about your experience in CA, what you're doing with the 96th and some deployments to Syria and Saudi Arabia. So you left the military and then you went to business school, recently completed your MBA. Congratulations. And um, I want to ask you about why, why business school? What skills were you looking for? And did you already have like a career in mind? that you started thinking about while you're sitting there reading your books or hanging out during deployment, like, man, this is what I want to do next is X, Y, and Z. 
Yeah. So some people, some people come to business school, like they've had business school on their radar for years, dozens of years, if not like their entire life. Like they're like, I'm going to graduate college, could work out for a couple of years and then like go to business school. Like that's what I do. I think it was probably about three years before I actually started school. I mean, it was probably like two years before I started school. And I was like starting to think about what I wanted to do after the army. Had absolutely no idea what business school was. I, I can tell you what an MBA stood for. And like, that was about it. Yeah. Um, but I was like, okay, I know I'm getting out of the army. I had kind of already made that decision. So I was going down my list of options. I was like, okay, well, I have, I have the GI Bill. I might as well use that. You know, my, my grandfather went to school on GI Bill. My dad went to school on GI Bill. Like, Solid program. Right, right. Like definitely, definitely take advantage of it. Um, and just kind of get a quick plug for everyone out there too. That you don't have to go use it, get a regular degree also. You can go be a, a, a mountain climber. You can go to culinary school. You can go learn to be a pilot. Like there's tons of different ways you can use GI Bill. Okay, so rant over real quick. So I was like going in the list. And I was like, all right, I don't want to, I'm not great at math and science. So like medical stuff off the table. I don't want to be a lawyer because I had an ex-girlfriend and saw her go through law school. That looked miserable. And I, was like, I don't want to be a lawyer. And then I was like, I don't really want to go be like a researcher, an academic. That's just not quite like, I want to, I want to do something more. And so basically what was left on the table for me was, was business school. And so I started looking at it and was like, you know, I kind of always had an itch to start my own thing, like start my own company, kind of build something from scratch. Yeah. Uh, that kind of paired with, you know, the, the MBA is very much kind of considered like a general management degree is what it's you know kind of called and considered. And it's a, it's a very natural fit for veterans who you come out of the military with great leadership experience. You're used to working on teams. You're trying to chase down tough problems, but you don't have the practical business acumen and, you know, looking at spreadsheets and, you know, understanding accounting and finance and all these kinds of things. So like you kind of need some, some real practical knowledge to then pair with those soft skills you get from the military. And like, that's where the MBA comes in. And so it was just like a natural next step of, okay, you know, based on what I want to go do, you know, as like an entrepreneur post-military life, based on like the, the gaps in my experience, this is a great fit to help me get to the next thing. Yeah. That's a great way to summarize it. I've had plenty of friends who are the folks who fit in that earlier category where they know for a dozen years where their families expect they're going to go to get their MBA and then take over the business or whatever. Right. Right. And then later on it's, it either works out or it's a, horrible disaster and they wanted to go be a culinary chef, you know? Right. Um, so obviously everyone has a very different experience transitioning out of the military. I found this to be true regardless of how many years they've been on active or reserve status or whatever they did. How did your transition go? Would you say that it was rather smooth or bumpy along the way? Overall, I would say that mine was pretty, pretty smooth. Luckily, actually, so my my CA company commander at the time, she was also dating out and she was maybe like three or four months ahead of me in the process. And so this is like one of the big things that kind of frustrates me about the military transition process is like so much of it is like lore. It's like, unless you have like a guide to like literally verbally tell you, this is the place you need to go. This is the paperwork you need to fill out. Or like, this is the resource you need to look into. You have no idea. Cause like that information doesn't exist out there. It's like, aren't there like transition assistance programs and all the stuff that I'm supposed to show you that? Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So yes, there is, there, there is a transition assistance program. Okay. It doesn't do everything and it's pretty much universally recognized as not being very good. Okay. okay. Um, and it's so like prime, prime example that I'll bring up. Um, so my commander, 
she had kind of figured out like, hey, you can go and go ahead and start filing your VA disability claim way long before you actually get out. I was like, oh, that's a good useful bit of information. Uh, I don't even know if I'm going to qualify for anything, but like I should at least go through that process. Like I've had a couple of injuries. I should get those things checked out. And so if she hadn't told me that, I would have never known. Yeah. And like, and it's also something that the uh, transition assistance program, if I remember right, I don't think they tell you at all during there either. And so that's just like one of those very helpful nuggets of information that just gets lost unless you have the right person to tell you at the right time. Yeah. But that's overall, an incredibly helpful one that like we, kept, yeah. we tell people, yeah, if you get your 20 year letter or you just, you're done with your contract that last year before you go, better make sure it happens before you go. Cause it'd be a hell of a lot smoother. Go right. see somebody at the VA. Right. Overall, like my, my main three frustrations with the transition process were one, there's a lot of, a lot of great intent and goodwill out there. There are a gazillion different veteran nonprofits and it's, it, it's overwhelming. And I get that comment a lot from talking to people of you just, you end up getting analysis paralysis because there's just so many options. And the other kind of frustration with that is a lot of them, most of them don't do, they only do a small piece of the pie, right? Like you got to go to this organization to learn how to put together your resume. You got to go to this organization to put together or to prepare for an interview or go to this organization to, you know, start networking. And like no one kind of does everything. So you end up with this like patchwork quilt of resources and it just, it stops a lot of people on their tracks uh, and they just end up not progressing any further. Okay. So my second big complaint was, you know, the, the kind of the system of the process is very much geared towards helping, especially junior enlisted soldiers who've never been to college, go get an undergraduate degree afterwards. Okay. And like, that's awesome. They're definitely like the, the underrepresented, more needy category in here. And like that, the system should be kind of geared towards them. Okay. I'll be very clear there. But, you know, every officer who's getting out already has a bachelor's degree. Lots of NCOs get out with, with bachelor's degrees. Yeah. You know, I know like my, my CANCO was working on his second master's while we were deployed. Okay. And like, that's like a fairly typical thing. And so my point there being is that like when these people are getting, getting out of the military, they're, and they probably have the GI bill or something else, they're not prime candidates for graduate school. Mm-hmm. And like, what a great crop of people to send to graduate school, but there's just an absolute dearth of information out there about being a veteran applying to graduate school. Okay. So like, you know, I went to the business school, which is like a very well-trodden path for junior military officers to get out. And even then there's still not a lot of information. And if you want to go to medical school or law school or something, good luck. There's not a whole lot of stuff out there. And then my third big frustration with the whole process was I felt like the, the entire system was just pushing me and everybody else. And they're just getting a job, like just go get a job, check the block, make us all feel happy that you're not going to be an unemployed veteran when you get out. And we don't care if it's fulfilling, meaningful, anything else for you. We just want to see that you have a job. All right. Now, part of me thinks, okay, you know, at least people set up when they first start off to like get down the right track and they can figure everything else out later. But I also know that our community has a lot more to offer than just stepping into a role somewhere. Um, And so I just think that that's, we're not doing the best service to exiting service members and just kind of treating them like, let's just get that stamp on you. I think there's, there's more potential out there for that. Great points, Mark. Um, I want to go into that a little more detail. So all that frustration, I think it sounds like led to the stuff that you're doing. So you actually founded a website called the veteran professional. You run your own podcast by the same name, and then you co-founded something called vet journey. Tell people briefly like what those are 
And then a follow-up to that is what CA skills have helped you now in these businesses? Yeah. So the, it really, it started off of, I was feeling frustrated during the transition, kind of with the things I've talked about. And at first I started writing on, on Medium. Uh, if, if anyone's out there heard of that, it's like a paid subscription service, but yeah. good, good place to find a lot of good content. Okay. So I started writing on Medium and had written four or five different pieces and was like, hey, I think I have enough stuff now. I could like start my own website and just put it all into one place. So I started a website, started writing some more. Uh, and if you want to talk about CA skills that came into play here, writing weekly sit reps and uh, op- operation summaries and like storyboards and everything. Like, but my writing skills got pretty dang good after CA. And so I was able to just kind of like crush some content out and put it out there into the world, right? That was definitely a helpful skill. And then like once it kind of built up enough like library of content, it was starting a podcast. And it just seemed like the next evolution to get stuff out there. So had been doing that for a while and then ended up connecting with my now co-founder, uh, but guy by the name of Mark Biga. So we have two Marks on the same team here. He runs a small firm called Military Hiring Accelerator. All right. Traditional veteran focused staffing agency that been in business for a couple of years. And he was, so he's not a vet himself but kind of has like a story of a, a, a friend who passed away and he kind of wanted to, to carry the mantle of, of helping veterans out. And then he was recognizing like, man, there's just a lot of friction in this process of service members leaving and the company's trying to hire. And it's just, it's a very manual, it's very analog. There's not a whole lot of data and it's just, this whole thing is way harder, harder than it needs to be. And like, oh, by the way, like companies love hiring veterans. Like they, they come to him and say, bring me veterans because I want to hire them. Yeah. And so through the podcast and then connecting with him, he was able to then connect with two software developers for some like some previous roles and everything. And together we created VetJourney. All right. So VetJourney, basically what we're trying to do is take all the things you have to do during your exit from the military and put it all into one place. All right. So we have tools and resources on the site that kind of guide you through the various things that you have to do during your exit. All right. And we try to focus, you know, right now it's it's very focused on the employment aspect. We have some plans down the road to kind of open up to schools and then eventually like entrepreneurship and stuff. Uh, but right now it's very focused on helping you land that first role. But we also include things in there, like all the, we've checklists on, here's all the stuff you actually have to do within the military itself. So we try to think like holistically about the transition and not just the helping you put together a resume to, to land that job. Okay. Uh, so we are, we are a for-profit company. And basically the way it works is like, we're going to offer this thing out there totally for free to everyone. And we want as many veterans to use it. And then basically that gives us a, a database of talent that we can sort through for our clients who are trying to hire vets. That's cool. And has it grown? I mean, you get more and more people who uh, add their data to the system. And then, you know, have you seen waves of people now that the, the drawdowns from Iraq and Afghanistan are a couple of years old, but more and more people are going to find jobs right now and, and looking for services like this? Yeah, so we're we're still very new. So we just finished, uh, we launched our beta uh, about two months ago, we just wrapped up that testing, okay? So we're going through a second major iteration of the product, like entirely based on user feedback on like how the site looked and interacted and everything. So we're expecting to have like a completely different looking software here in about two months. And then like, that's when we'll kind of be loud and proud about this thing and like really put it out there to the world. Uh, but you can go on there right now, vetjourney.com and just and test it out and you know, create a profile and everything, but it's going to be a very different site here in about two months. 
Well, thanks, Mark. Um, so you talked about the writing skills that you got from all the sit reps and whatnot, what you're doing in CA. Were there other skills and, and experiences you think from CA that have helped you so far in what you're doing? Yeah, 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 totally. One, definitely, and I think it's a super underrated thing for veterans in general, and I think especially for CA, is just comfort with the unknown and ambiguity, okay? I, I mean, I, I reflect back on so many of the, the evolutions and exercises we, I went through during, during CAS, where like they were clearly testing us for how comfortable are you are, how comfortable are you not knowing what is going to happen in 10 minutes? How comfortable are you in just like us throwing you into a crazy unknown environment and you being able to like navigate it and figure it out? They're clearly like, that's one of the things that they were looking for. And then I, you know, thinking back on the uh, qualification course too, again, that was just kind of like pushed back through in every which way and fashion. All right. And oh my gosh, that is just super helpful. And so many things, especially when you're trying to like start a company because you just have no idea what's going to happen and you yeah. just have to be comfortable with, with uncertainty. And it's definitely something I kind of noticed a lot in my, my non-veteran classmates here at Darden of, because I think they didn't quite have like that same training experience. Like they're very good at a lot of other things, but I just saw all the time. They're like, Oh, the professor's asking us for this like ambiguous answer. And it's just, it's too untangible for me and I can't quite grasp it. But I think coming from the CA world, like we're just way more comfortable with um, that level of ambiguity and uncertainty. So that one was definitely helpful. All right. The other big thing, and we kind of talked about this earlier from my time in Syria of, of partnerships of something I definitely got better at you know, through my CA experience was going to someone and understanding like, what do you want? What are your interests and where do we align? And so much of business is just relationships and being able to have this conversation to people of where do we align and like, how can we work together to achieve that? Knowing that like, we might have some slight different end states than each other, but somewhere we need to find a place to be able to work together and not compete. And how can we make that happen? And CA absolutely built that skill in me of being able to go into any, any conversation and trying to figure that out with somebody. Mark, that's awesome. Any advice for those who are currently serving enlisted or officers about how to maximize their experience in CA to then transition post-military? I'll preface this by just saying, like, I know there's a, a wide swath of CA experience out there. Like, you know, I was in the 95th, but, you know, I also got the 83rd and the, the, all the different reserve units out there and everything. And I know that's like a, a very wide range of experiences in the regiment. Um, I, I think the good rules of thumb are like one, align like what you personally want to do with like what you and your family want to do with like what, you know, the army wants you to do. All right. And they may not always align perfectly with each other, but it's okay to say to the army, Hey, listen, I take some family time right now. And maybe my career isn't going to take off after that, but like, that's okay. Um, I think especially, you know, if you're serving the reserves, that's probably, you probably very much understand that idea. All right. So I think that's kind of the, the first thing is just understanding that that balance with the military, your family, and, you know, your civilian career and everything. Secondly, I would say, you know, as you're balancing that, there's a lot of great training opportunities out there in the CA world that are, are totally worth it to, to jump on and try and go pursue, whether it be, 
you know, some like cool guy shooting stuff or negotiations courses or something. Like those are really helpful life skills and probably also things that you're not going to be able to do in the civilian world either after you leave the military. Especially the cool guy shooting stuff with the ammo that costs so much. So take advantage of that in the military. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I always reflect on the, I think it was called Intac. It, it was like, we, we got to do like two or three days of like really fun driving. We're like crashing cars into each other and like, you like whipping it around curves and like getting shot at with paintball guns. It was a ton of fun. I'm like, I'm never going to be able to do this after the army. Hell yeah. Like not a thing, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, definitely take advantage of that stuff while you can. Yeah, I strongly encourage, like, there's just so many things that come to you while you're serving that you're just not going to be able to find afterwards. Or if you do, you're going to have to pay, you know, $20,000 or something for it, right? Uh, so strongly encourage you to just take advantage of those opportunities and make the most of your time here for them. Thanks, man. Um, Mark Delaney, CA veteran, recent MBA graduate, and the co-founder of vet journey and founder of the veteran professional website and podcast. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah. Thanks for having me, John. This was, this was a real pleasure. I got to, I'm glad I could like come back and give back to the regiment a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And um, just if we can close, tell people again, where to go to see the veteran professional website podcast and where to go for the vet journey. Right, right. So the, you can go to the website at theveteranpro.com and then on there on the homepage, you'll see a link to the podcast. As the podcast is actually called the Veteran Semi-Professional. I threw the semi in there because I wanted to include conversations about like mental health and kind of, you know, not just strictly career things. So uh, yeah, you can find that on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. And then if you want to check out the Vet Journey, so so vetjourney.com, you can go on there. And like I said, it's gonna look, it's gonna be a very different site here in about two months. We can go and get registered and everything on there now. Okay, sounds good. Thank you for spending some time with us. Please subscribe and come back for another installment of 1CA. Until then, be safe and secure the victory. In civil affairs, your success depends on getting the right information to the right people at the right time. Whether it's foundational information for a team about to head out on a mission or putting together a map or other data visualization to brief a general or an ambassador, Tesla Government Solutions and staff can help. With Tesla Government's Knowledge Management Solutions, you're adding a strategic partner that helps unleash the full power and potential of your information. Let us unpack your data and put your knowledge to work. Learn more at teslagov.com. LC38brand.com, the civil affairs lifestyle brand. A little bit of something for everybody. T-shirts, polos, shorts, hats, flags and posters for your walls, and stickers for everything else. Celebrating the heritage of civil affairs from the civil reconnaissance of Lewis and Clark through the monuments men of World War II and companies of Vietnam. Representing the present teams of the global war on terror, we have items for citizen soldiers of USA Kapok and warrior diplomats at Fort Bragg alike. LC38brand.com. It's cool to like your job.